You are listening to another tale from the Mage's Den, the podcast for the Common Tongue magazine. The Exhibit by Sam Warner, narrated by Carl Walmsley. Screams filled the candlelit halls of the palace, mixing with the cries of the savages as their voices waxed and waned with the moon. The Count had done everything in his power to silence them, deployed every punishment imaginable, beatings, whips, fire. His household of goblins were only too happy to comply. Still, They only seemed to resist even more every time they were disciplined, fruitlessly trying to scale the walls of their exhibit with nothing but sticks and stones. Keeping them in mint condition proved to be more difficult than he had expected. On a particularly unbearable night, he descended to the courtyard to escape the noise. For several terrifying moments, the savage's screams became indistinguishable from hers. Being unable to tell them apart frightened the Count most of all. No, I am just imagining things, he told himself, as he stalked through the moonlit garden. It had just rained and dew glistened in the moonlight, falling from the rustling plants like droplets of silver tears. The Count was almost tempted to blow out his candle. The eerie brightness was unbearable. Silence, please, he prayed for the first time in months. Give me silence and darkness and peace. A swift movement to his side sent a chill up the Count's spine as he turned to see Brux emerge from the shadows behind him, adorned with his usual gnarled expression which along with the twisted ridges of his scab-like skin made for a lurid contrast against the decorative imperial attire he always insisted on wearing. You snuck up on me, Brux, the Count bristled as he quickly regained his composure. It was a compliment in truth. Goblin's uncanny ability to come and go unnoticed made them unsurpassed as domestic servants, and in particular, torturers. I came only to see how my lord is faring, Brux replied stiffly, as he straightened the badges on his coat. It'll be a night ill-suited for sleeping, I fear. The goblin gave the epaulets on his shoulder an absent-minded lift, which drooped every time he lowered his scrawny arms. The Count took a step closer to his officer, now watching the moon as it retreated slyly behind a swirl of dark clouds. That may be so, but sleep is a privilege of the unenlightened. The learned mind, especially that which has experienced the horrors of the world, knows no rest. The screams were distant now, but the image of her face remained burned into his memory. A face soaked with sweat and blood, with eyes that opened like pale doors into the inevitable chills of death. Her eyes were so bright once. When did they become so pale? It is as you say, my lord. Brux tried to catch the Count's gaze, 
but his lord always looked up, never down. I see it with those savages. When they're not hollering or trying to escape, all they do is sleep. Still gazing up at the sky, the Count asked, And you, Brux, how do you sleep? I wager you even take your uniform to bed. I've never seen you out of it since the treaty. The corner of his lips arched upwards in a vacant smile. Feeling emboldened by his humorous tone, Brux attempted a gentle laugh. A proper one, like he had seen the Count do with his guests, empty but dignified. Instead, it came out like the rough grinding of nails against stone. A goblin's laugh. Well, since my emancipation, I intend to continue to offer my services in the best manner possible. As the last ray of moonlight disappeared from his face, the Count turned his angular neck down upon Brux, looking him in the eye for the first time. Gold, he noted to himself with a hint of surprise at the resplendent aureate pools staring back at him. Just as well. The goblins had negotiated their way to freedom, using the obscene riches they were known for hoarding after all. The Count's smile darkened into a sinister scowl. Remember who you are, he spat, blowing out the candle so as to leave the goblin in the dark, where he belonged. The rest of us always will. Making his way to the exhibit on the other side of the palace, the Count tried to distract himself with his thoughts, in the very least so that her screams and the insolent imitations of the savages would subside. The treaty which had finally brought an end to the long and bloody war banned the enslavement of the lesser races across the empire, it was true, but it said nothing about other humans. Quiet, be quiet, be quiet, whispered to himself, once the frustration became so great that he was unable to contain it. Still she wept, and they ululated and roared in response. For a moment the Count felt an inexplicable urge to join this depraved chorus, to shed his clothes, howl like a wolf and run for the mountains. Fantasies of the uncivilised, he told himself, through gritted teeth and clenched fists. The more he felt himself tighten, the stronger the urge's grip over him became. At least there was darkness, but still no silence and still no peace. Giannis! The shriek pierced his chest like a cold knife through the heart. My name? She... she remembers my name! For months on end, the screams had been wordless, mindless. Hearing her cry out for him, cry out his very name, almost made the Count feel as if his wife were still living. And then, once again, Giannis! Giannis Eddington! The Count froze. For a split second there was no sound but the thumping of his heartbeat. The wails began again, Giannis! Giannis! Giannis Initan! It was the savages this time, moaning as if to respond in mocking cruelty. He could suffer it no longer. 
How dare they besmirch the name his father had given him? The name held by all the Counts of Edderton since the origin of this fine estate in the early years of the Confederacy, all those centuries ago. This will not stand, he muttered to himself, increasing his pace to a run. The Count clawed his way through the gloom, abandoning all sense of composure as he lurched viciously towards the exhibit. It was in sight now. This will not stand! The Count was yelling now, trying to block the echoes of his wife's voice and the savage's replies from his mind as they swirled together and surrounded him, cornering him behind a terrible curtain of barbarity and death. No! No! He saw her dancing with them around a fire, her eyes ablaze as they had been in life, her skin darkened and roasted as she became one of them thumping along with their savage rhythm of screams. My lord, stand back! Brock sparked, snapping the Count out of his reverie. They were behind the palace now, its spiralling towers poking into the sky like the spikes of a black crown. The Count whirled to see the entire household guard surrounding him, a few dozen goblins with their whips and maces and axes and the handful of grizzled, scarred men who had stayed with him to help run the exhibit after the end of the war, having no home to return to. One's gotten over! One's gotten over! Drav, the burly, one-eyed guardsman, rushed forward immediately with three of his best men. A wild, gangly, savage man pulled himself over the brick wall and sprinted towards them, armed with nothing but a pebble. Her voice was all around him now. It no longer seemed to be emanating from the castle, but instead from below, from the exhibition pit itself, where all the savages still screeched into the night. Giannis! I'm coming, the Count said oddly, as if being pulled by some invisible force, he thrust himself forward, drawn not only by the sound, but by the warmth of his wife's embrace. He reached out, and touched one of the exhibit's glass windows, wrangling himself free as a hundred gnarled hands tried to grab at him and pull him back. He looked below, where the savages were dancing, climbing, screaming, and in the smoke of their great blazing fire, he heard her, saw her, felt her. Chianis! Elira! I'm coming, Elira! The world shattered. Drav, half a dozen men and the escaped savage came hurtling towards him and with an almighty crack the glass was all around him and he was falling. With a thud the Count landed on wet hard ground dotted with shards of broken glass. He rolled over to see the twitching corpse of the savage that had escaped covered in stab wounds and impaled by wedges of glass. He was young, he realised, in a moment of clarity afforded by the sheer horror of the sight before him. Just a boy. Three of the Count's guards lay around him, motionless. One of them, lying face down, had the pebble lodged in his neck. The scent of blood and fire brought the Count back to himself. 
The savages surrounded him, seizing Drav as the guard regained consciousness, only to slit his throat in a stroke of pure vengeance. The Count heard the cries of men and goblins above, but strangely, the savages now seemed almost calm in their approach as they moved in a gloom. Delirious, he ran for the muddy walls of the exhibit, clawing his way up until his fingers bled. He felt the savages come closer and closer as his instincts suddenly told him to relax and resign himself to joining his beloved in death. And then he saw the whips. Like a flock of birds, the savages dispersed as the goblins descended and Brux once again appeared at the Count's side, this time pleading, Please, my lord, enough of this folly! They've breached the walls! We must go! The Count ignored him. Entranced, he stumbled forward, stepping over the bodies of savages, men and goblins alike. It was Alira he cared about now. Her presence called out to him, drawing him into the fire. While most of the savages seemed to be running away, there was one who approached him as he stepped in front of the fire, a lean white beard with a long, harrowed face, four fingers on each hand. Yes, I have seen Brux torture this one often. With surprising strength, the white beard pinned him down. In flashes of red and white and black they fought, a great heat coming over them as Elira's screams reached a ringing crescendo. The fire was extinguished, and Elira quieted when Brux stepped between them, scaring the savage off with a crack of his whip. Something cold and sharp pierced the count in his right leg. He fell, and upon hitting the ground, he saw that the exhibit had been reduced to little more than a smoking ruin. He closed his eyes and relished the darkness. And for a moment, there was even silence, and almost peace. Cries began anew, bringing turmoil to whatever reprieve he may have had. This time, they were the agonised cries of a child. Edenton only became darker and lonelier in the weeks following the savages' escape. The Count's leg wound became infected, most of his remaining garrison deserted, and any attempts at locating the lost chattel failed. Worst of all, it was the baby's cries which kept the entire palace awake now. With bloodshot eyes, the Count found himself hobbling through the empty halls in the dark trying not to forget Elira's face and voice. He would give anything just to hear her screams of pain again, if it meant respite from this new terror. My lord, given you've tried every possible form of medicinal and clerical intervention that the Empire has to offer, might I suggest that a shamaness from my home tribe pay us a visit? She once brought my mother back, from the brink of death, and is renowned for her knowledge of evil spirits. Do as you please, the Count waved Brux out of the chamber dismissively. Once he would have been incredulous, even irate at such a preposterous and blasphemous suggestion, but he was too tired for all that now. I am 
airless and friendless now that the whole world knows of the destruction of my exhibit and the savage's escape. If some goblin slut wishes to sprinkle her magic dust over my deathbed, so be it. May she poison the palace so that nobody will want to rule it in my stead. The shamaness proved to be less intimidating than the Count had hoped. After her arrival and rather unseemly insistence upon being fed, the four-foot-tall crone inspected the entirety of Edenton at a tortoise's pace, demanding to be shown each of its eighty rooms, kitchens, gardens, and even the ruins of the exhibit. At that last spot, which the Count did not dare approach, she let out a bellow of terror and made to leave immediately. Where do you think you're going? You haven't given me any explanation yet. Though he had to rely on a cane, the Count still moved faster than this goblin shamaness who huddled herself under a thick black cloak as she opened the door of her carriage. The shamaness turned only enough for the Count to see the warty tip of her long, crooked nose. There is evil in this place, she croaked. Mother and child bound here in eternal suffering. You would do well to leave and tear it down brick by brick. The Count gasped. Tear down Edenton? I had it expanded only a year ago. The renovations were completed the very day my wife died. This palace was my one joy. People came from all across the empire to see my exhibit. I meant to collect more, create a collection. Shamaness turned to face him now. Her eyes were golden, like Brux's, but they were dull, like gold which has been beaten and dirtied by years of grime. People suffered here. The stink of torture and death is all over. Stray spirits abound. I will say it only once more. Leave or be stuck here forever. Shamaness refused to speak any further or accept payment, but the Count sent her on her way. I'll never leave you, Alira, he whispered to the portrait of his wife that decorated their bedroom chamber that night. It did no justice to her true beauty, he thought. Like clockwork, the child's anguished cries began again. And I'll never leave our child, either. The news from the outside world only became more troubling with the passing months. Word spread of peasant uprisings occurring across the empire, spurred by the food shortages. This happened every winter under the Confederacy, and it's bound to happen every winter under this new empire too, the Count commented to a concerned Brux. But here, we will be safe. Brux nodded with a feigned enthusiasm. Yes, my lord. My goblins will ensure that no harm befalls you. Good. The Count recalled how the last of the men in his service had abandoned Edenton only a few weeks earlier. Men are fickle creatures, but at least goblins, well, goblins can always be swayed by the right price. That night, the Count was alone in the main hall, 
picking weakly at a roast supper, when a familiar war cry erupted from the front gate. That's no spirit! He rushed to the front entrance, where Brux and his garrison of twenty goblins were already standing armed and armoured as the ululations from outside grew into a crescendo, the horrible banging sound blasted from behind Edenton's great wooden doorway, shaking the entire hall. My lord, leave with my guards now! Flee! Now! An exasperated Brux tried to push the Count away, but he was too horrified to listen. They're back! And they're not alone! They've breached the curtain wall! A massive thud sent them all flying backwards as a furious mob of savages and peasants swarmed through the battered gate. Paralysed, the Count could only watch in horror as he saw the palace he had been groomed to rule reduced to yet another ruin, consumed by fire and smoke. He heard both Alira and the baby now, their screams soaring above and then plunging below the noise of the attackers. He saw savages slaying goblins, goblins slaying peasants, and the paintings on the walls melting and burning and crumbling into ash. He reached out for his cane, only for a dark, bare foot to kick it away. Trembling, the Count looked up to see the scarred white beard standing above him with eyes that burned with hatred. He has come for vengeance and rallied the locals to their cause. He moaned, the anger and disgust rising in his throat. Filthy animals! The Count met the Whitebeard's gaze as if to beg, get it over with, so I can be with my wife and child. Overtaken by fear and shame, he started to cry. The Whitebeard's expression softened and he lowered the knife he was holding in a four-fingered hand. He simply knelt, after which the Count roared, Kill me! Sweat and spittle leaking from his face. The white beard remained composed, his arm limp as the Count pulled it towards him, pointing the knife at his heart. Elira! The knife fell, and with an abrupt grunt, the white beard collapsed on top of him, twitching for a moment before going still. Heaving over them was Brux, with a bloodied axe in one hand and a tattered whip in the other. He had never seen the goblin's uniform so dirty. My lord, he heard Brux say, but whatever followed was lost to him as the Count buckled and fainted. He awoke in a field, the cool morning sun shining on his face. Am I dead? As always, it was Brux who answered. Not yet. The goblin stood over him, his golden eyes blotting out the sky. Giannis winced. Brux, what happened? Where are we? He tried to sit up, but felt something blocking his chest. Brux pressed his foot down harder. Edenton has been looted and burned, I'm afraid, as has the capital and most of the major cities. Your empire shall crumble in the coming days, I should think. The man struggled to break free, but it was no use. He felt as if his entire body was broken, 
And, and the savages? Returned home where they belong, most like. Or perhaps they've gone to fight. Most of us have by now. Giannis laughed, a cruel, mad laugh. Ha! Us? Is that the way of it? Torturers and the tortured banding together to defeat an empire of evil men? Brooks bared a sharp, shiny knife. The same one wielded by the white beard, Giannis realised. I have no allegiance to them. It was just a job for me, like you always said. But your time is over. You were arrogant enough to think that after being freed from slavery, we would go on serving you willingly forever. Oh, don't act as if it's freedom you cared about. Now take me back to Edenton and this insolence will be forgiven. You still don't understand, do you? Brooks gave a crooked smile. The ghosts of your wife and child are there. The shamaness made that quite clear. I couldn't just let you stay. Have you forgotten? You are a goblin, and I am a man, a, a count. Free me at once. Brooks only brought the knife to Giannis's throat with a devilish glee. You are a count no longer, Giannis. Your castle and name will be lost to history. And if future generations do speak of you, it will be as a cruel madman who heard voices and kept slaves in a pit. Press the knife deeper into Giannis's skin, drawing a single stream of bright red blood. And it is you who has forgotten. Real men do not build cages. Any thought of his wife, child and castle fled from Giannis's mind then. In the final moments, there was only darkness, silence and finally peace. <laughs>